Hello, and welcome to Fatal Femmes, a podcast surrounding the women of mystery. Each episode will look at a movie or TV show written, directed, or made famous by a female-identifying artist. We're your hosts, Laura Celeste and Lacey Cannon-Gonzalez. Stay tuned. In this episode, we look at the 1996 movie Set It Off, directed by F. Gary Gray, written by Kate Lanier and Takashi Buford, starring Jada Pinkett-Smith, Queen Latifah, Vivica A. Fox, and Kimberly Elise. To get us started, here is a synopsis. Set It Off follows four black women in L.A., struggling to find a way to live freely under the boot of capitalism. Stoney, Frankie, Cleo, and Tashawn are close friends who have lived in the same hood their entire lives. One wants to escape, one wants luxury, one wants revenge, and one wants to regain custody of her son. And they all want a better life. With their world in turmoil and their backs against the wall, the four friends decide to rob a series of banks. But with the cops hot on their tail and everything going wrong, they have to depend on one another to try and survive. Trigger warnings for this episode are gun violence, death, racism, sexism, violent imagery, sexual exploitation, state violence, homophobia, classism, and misogynoir. We do want to caution you that this episode is full of spoilers. We'll get in depth on every aspect of the plot, so if you care about that, go watch the movie and come back. We'll be waiting. Okay, so this movie came out in 1996, and just to set the scene a little bit, in 1996, the Summer Olympics were held in Atlanta, Georgia. The Macarena was the number one song, and the Nintendo 64 was released. Prince Charles and Diana got a divorce. There were bombings in France, the UK, Saudi Arabia, and at the Olympic Village. And the number one movie was Independence Day, starring Will Smith, who would go on to marry one of the stars of our movie. Foreshadowing. And I think it's funny because Vivica A. Fox was in Independence Day. And apparently... That's right. So I know most people nowadays don't have like physical media, but I love my DVD collection. So I was watching the special features on the DVD and there was, they were talking to the director and he said that she came over on her lunch break from one of the days of filming Independence Day to audition for Set It Off. Wow. And he said that she just nailed it right out of the gate, that she didn't need any direction or anything. I believe it. Vivica A. Fox has amazing emotional range in this film, as in others. But yeah, I couldn't imagine anyone else playing Frankie. Me either. I think she was really, really great in the part. Mm -hmm. Just absolutely like the right, she carried herself the right way, just had the right look. She was just, she was perfect in that role. And that's just amazing to me that you're working in a job that, you know, is not, it's not hard in the way that like being a roofer is hard, but it's like emotionally hard. Mm -hmm. And so you go from doing that to a job interview where you have to get emotional and, you know, dig deep into yourself and then go back to work and do it more. Right. And also, Jada Pinkett Smith, while she was filming Set It Off, took a break to go film a part in Scream 2. She was in the very beginning of Scream 2, and she left filming for a little while to go do that. Wow. And also, talking about the four amazing women that lead this movie, Jada Pinkett Smith and Vivica A. Fox would later star together in Kingdom Come, which came out in 2001, and, um, and that they played relatives. Oh, I don't know that one. 
I've, I haven't heard of that one. And then Jada Pinkett Smith and Queen Latifah, of course, starred in Girls Trip together. That movie is so funny. If y'all haven't seen that, it's just a straight up comedy, no mystery or anything in it. But go watch that. It's hilarious. And that was what introduced me to the amazing Tiffany Haddish. Yep, she's great. I just watched a YouTube video that she did for some magazine where she went through everything she ate in a day and she got so excited about talking about food that she just kept listing things that she liked to eat, like beyond what she typically eats in a day. And I related to that. Although I do have to say, I've never tried a pickle dipped in Kool-Aid mix, like just the Kool-Aid powder, but she says it's delicious. I can't say that ever crossed my mind to try, but maybe we're going to have to do that now. Well, it's like sweet and sour, and I love sweet and sour, so I love that flavor combination. So I have a feeling I will love this. Oh my gosh, guys. We didn't come up with our signature cocktail for this episode. Oh, wait. I was going to be like, ooh, it could be like a pickle teeny with Kool-Aid, but then I was like, wait, (laughs) Tiffany Haddish isn't in this movie. And yet she still influences everything. Okay, so we'll come up with that and let y'all know what it is. I feel like it's just going to be straight alcohol, whatever it is, because this movie, to me, I have a hard time thinking about making like a signature cocktail for this movie because it's so intense. That's true. I feel like it. And the issues are so real and timely. It just needs a straight shot of something. I just think the most important thing, whatever you're drinking, you need to be drinking with your friends. You're really, you're really close friends and it needs to be something very, very, um, potent. Yeah, I agree. So let's, let's jump into it. So this movie starts off with, it's just black with the credits and these jarring kind of sounds. And then Mm -hmm. the first image we see is in the bank. You know, we don't know who anybody is at this point, but we see Vivica A. Fox and she's clearly somebody in charge the way she carries herself she's talking to somebody about taking some time off and you know you know she's a woman that's got things under control yeah and she has some power in her job until darnell walks up yeah this whole interaction was really strange to me cuz when i first watched it i saw her acknowledge him and now that i understand it recognize him but i thought it was so brief and she just kept doing what she was doing, but you felt the tension building. You knew that something was wrong, but it was just in that subtle flash when she looks up and then looks down. And then she's like, hey, Darnell. And it's like, that's when everything changes. He pulls out a gun, tells her that he's robbing the bank, and she's trying to talk him out of it. So she doesn't follow yeah. procedure. She doesn't set off the alarm. Yeah, partly because it's something... It's one thing to go through a procedure in a training, and it's another thing to have a gun put in your face, which thankfully has never happened to me, but I'm sure in that situation it it would be extremely stressful. But also, this is someone she knows, and this is someone she knows this will affect their life completely. Everything will change if he goes through with this. One hand, it is someone panicking, but it's for two reasons, because I think she genuinely is concerned for his well-being. Right. And like you said, it's one thing to know procedure. We actually had a friend who was a bank teller and got robbed. I can't even imagine how scary that actually is. I don't even remember what they said about that. It just kind of happened. Yeah. I'm sure it's one of those things that it's kind of a blur where you're just like, I'm just 
do just survive, just do what they say. Right. And so she doesn't do what Darnell asked her to do. And he ends up killing an innocent woman. The blood goes all over Vivica A. Fox. And this is when I'm talking about Vivica A. Fox being able to portray emotion so well, this is one of those moments because you can feel the anguish through the screen because it's so real. It's so palpable the way that she's experiencing this woman being killed in front of her. Yeah, it's really an incredible scene for like the first few minutes of this movie. Oh, extremely harrowing. It's like, oh my gosh, this is how the show starts? But that's kind of an indicator that this is not going to be like a sit back and relax type of movie. Yeah. So they do rob the bank. Two of the three bank robbers, including Darnell, get killed. A couple of the security guards plus the one woman. It's all a big mess. We cut to her being interrogated by the cops. Our main detective is played by John C. McGinley. Yeah, John C. McGinley. Most of you will know him from Scrubs. And you'll see a lot of um, Dr. Coxisms in this character. There's a few things that he's, I think he probably does with every character. But yeah, he's playing like the lead investigating detective. And he's interrogating her and asking her why she didn't follow procedure. First, he asks her, what's the procedure? Isn't that what he says? Yes. What's the procedure? Because this is a line that comes back to play at the mm-hmm. end of the movie. I know I was alluding to that. Oh, okay. No, I really, I that is so powerful to me. Yeah, so it's not looking good for Frankie based on the fact that she didn't follow procedure and she knew the perpetrator. She knew one of the bank robbers. I think she knew all of them. She knew Darnell. Um, Maybe we don't of... know who bank robber two is, but the one who gets yeah. away, we later find out that she knows as well, but they don't yeah. know that at the time. Right. Okay. So yeah, it's just, it's just Darnell at that point. They're not listening to her. It's like, this woman is in obvious distress, like obvious, obviously just completely beside herself. And she's explaining why she didn't do these things. And it makes sense. And if someone was listening with a compassionate ear, they would have heard that. They don't. And she is fired despite being, you know, a a model employee. And the fact that she just got promoted a month ago. Got promoted a month ago, went through this horrible experience. experience. Yeah, but that's it. They're not willing to take the risk on this happening again because they think she's in cahoots with the people that pulled this off. And they literally fire her on the spot. Fire her on the spot. She still has blood all over her. And as she's walking out... Or no, because and then she gets angry and they're like, calm down. You need to calm down, of course, which is any time a woman gets angry, particularly a black woman. That's the first thing. It's this gaslighting like you should be calm in this situation. It's like who would be calm when they're covered in somebody's blood that got killed right in front of them? Yeah, because it's like anger is never a, a rational response when something like this happens. So that happens. And I thought it was really kind of a small moment, but I I think a lot of people would catch on to this. As she's walking out, there is a police woman who happens to be black and she's drinking water. Frankie is obviously under duress, has been under duress. She's emotionally distraught and she's walking out and she's like, you couldn't even offer me a drink of water, sister. Like kind of alluding to the fact it's like, hey, we're two black women in a room full of white men. And you couldn't see to my well-being. Like you said, it's, you know, it happens real fast, but it's a very powerful moment. It is. It, it says, I think that's that's kind of an important theme throughout the movie is the relationship between these women. 
reading and reading articles that we have done in our research for this. It's like listening to the stories. It's like it's very important, especially for black women to have these relationships with one another. And I think not having that kind of return for her was very traumatizing on top of everything else for Frankie. So we move on to Stevie's graduation party, which is 70s themed, which which Cleo is not a fan. No. And doesn't follow the rules. Everybody's all excited because he's going to go to college, UCLA. The and no one is more excited than Stoney, played by Jada Pinkett Smith. She is like sister. a proud sister, completely puts him on a pedestal, is taking care of him, puts her, puts himself before herself. She's going to make sure that he gets out of the neighborhood, gets out of where he lives, and he is going to make something of himself in college. But he drops a bombshell on her. He didn't get the scholarship. So mm-hmm. without the scholarship, he can't afford to go. Yeah, can't pay tuition. What ends up happening is probably the most disturbing. One of the- I don't know if it's the most disturbing, but it- to me, this was probably the most disturbing thing beyond the ending. Stoney is extorted for sex by a local businessman who has always, I think, had a crush on her or liked her and has kind of wanted to be with her, but she wouldn't give him the time of day and kind of ignored him because he's a little bit older. She's like, can I come work for you? And he's like, yeah. And then she's like, can I get an advance? And he says, basically, like, I'm going to need something in return, alluding to he's asking for sex. And so she goes through with it. And that is just the look on her face because they do show it. And it's just, you can tell it, isn't consensual it is non-consensual but she's resigned herself to do this for her brother which in some of the articles that we've read and that i've read it's like black women oftentimes will put themselves in situations that aren't good that aren't the best for them to help their family you can tell this is this is deeply upsetting to her because there's a scene of her in the shower just like trying to scrub herself clean yeah doesn't she put the soap in her mouth Oh, I missed that part. I don't know. I know. I know she like re- she washes her face really. I might hard. be projecting that because I just just feeling for her in that scene. I I couldn't even imagine just wanting to scrub that whole experience off of you. Why do dudes got to be like that? Misogyny. Yeah. Sexism. Oh, that's why. Thank you. Misogynoir. Still learning that word. That's a new word. But um... yeah, we didn't know what that word meant. Do you want to give a um? A definition on that sure. for anybody else who might not know. That was a, a new word that we discovered when researching for this episode. Yeah, and I want to link it in the in the information with this episode. But we found a really great article that I ha- I used as a reference point quite a bit uh, by Sharonda Brown called "Set It Off" and the Black Feminist Lessons It Still Holds for Us. And it it's a recent article, and it is just packed with a wealth of knowledge and perspective. And it's a really great read. We use part of their synopsis in our synopsis. So we definitely want to give them credit because the article was really a great jumping off point as far as research went. But misogynoir is the specific hatred, dislike, distrust, and prejudice directed towards black women. She's done this thing. She's gone through this trauma and she has this check for her brother. And we, we've jumped around a little bit. We'll pick up a few of the pieces that we missed and then get back on track. Three of the women, Stoney, Cleo, and Tashawn, work for Luther's Cleaning Company. And they clean this really 
fancy building. We get some really great scenes out of that. But Luther is very mean to them. He always calls Cleo. Sir or gentleman. Yeah, because he'll say ladies and gentlemen. Cleo is a queer butch woman. Yeah. And of course, that can't be tolerated without some kind of mocking. So that's where a lot of antagonism towards Cleo comes in. And this is not the first or last time that she experiences that in the movie. We also find out that Tashawn wanted to be paid under the table because now that he is reporting her income to the IRS, they're taking taxes out, and she doesn't have enough money to pay her babysitter to watch her small son while she's at work. And he tells her basically that the only three people in the world that he doesn't mess with is the I, the R, and the S. So we get a real nice setup here of just what their like lives what are. Like what kind of, yeah, the means that they have. It's not all pretty. They put up with a lot more on the day-to-day basis than anyone, you know, any white person would ever deal with, especially a white man. But it's like, it's something that I don't think most people could understand having be your norm because it is. In the article that I referenced, um, the writer talks about systems that keep these women disenfranchised, downtrodden, and desperate. And I would say that working with Luther is one of those one of those systems on the small scale. But it is one of those things that it's like it's keeping them in that state. And so in our next scene, Stoney meets up with Nate, who is the guy that is going to give her the check. We find out some more, a little bit of their history. Like, they've all been friends for a really long time. Cleo has this car that she's been working on since the seventh grade. We meet her girlfriend, Ursula, who never says a word in the entire movie. Yeah, she only talks to Cleo. She And it really irks the other women because they're like, why doesn't she talk? Yeah. And that never really gets explained, but Ursula is not bothering with anybody no she's not bothered at all and it doesn't bother cleo either no and then this was another noted oh no she's like i'm fine with that but um and this is another time where someone's antagonizing cleo you know about her sexuality when the guys pull up in the car and they start giving her flack for her car not having the right details or being fancy enough or i don't know what the word is because i don't know anything about cars but basically there's like no hydraulic system the paint job i don't know the paint job's not good i don't know (laughs) I'm really, I'm stretching here. But basically, they pull up in a nicer car, and they give her a flag about her car. But yeah, this is such a nice scene, though. Beyond, like, Nate and Luther and all this other bullshit. Like, I love this scene because you get to see them interact as a friend group. And it's really fun, and they're funny, and they have really great chemistry with each other. And so the next night at work, they get Frankie a job because we find out she can't even get a reference from the bank. So she can't get another bank job or another, you know, like, professional-type job. So she's going to go to work with them for Luther. And yeah. she hates it. She well, it's a huge step down for her. She complains about the trash smelling and about everything. Yeah. Ruined. They're all, like, Stony is sad and withdrawn, and it's just not a good night. So Cleo brings out a bag of weed, and they go sit on a roof and all get really high. This is the best, like, the most heartwarming part of the movie. I, I just, this was just pure happiness, pure joy, because they're just sitting there getting high, relaxing, and kind of just being stupid yeah. with each other. Just how how you are with your friends, how you are with your really close friends. And again, it just shows you how close they are as a friend group. 
it's something that I think a lot of women can relate to. Like when you're with your really close girlfriends and you can just be dumb and let your hair down figuratively and just be yourself. And they're dreaming about making $15 an hour. Mm. Just like how much that would change their life. Well, because I mean, 96, that was that was a lot. I don't know what minimum wage was at that time or any of those kind of numbers, but like $15 is a lot for me now. So, oh, yeah, that's yeah. that's good. I, I mean, mean, for some I mean, some people, if you if you're unmarried or don't have children. Well, I mean, considering that minimum wage here in America is is it still 725 or is it 825? I'm not sure, but it's still too freaking low. But what it must have been then it must have been like five or six dollars. I would assume I didn't look that up, but... Let me look it up really quick. Check the Google. But also remember, black women get paid less than everybody else. That's true. But if Luther's concerned about the IRS, then he's probably paying minimum wage. Yeah, so minimum wage in... Okay, well, I can find for 1990, which was $3.80. I'm sorry, my brain stopped working. I don't know how, I don't, does not compute. So it looks like federal legislation increased minimum wage from $4.25 to $4.75 in October of 96. So for the majority of 96, it would have been $4.25. I know inflation and all that, but there's no way you can make a living on that. No, I don't even, not even in 96. You can't make a living on minimum wage now. No. Like that's, you're still below the poverty line. So they were like extreme below the poverty line. That is mind boggling. I mean, and it wasn't like easy work they were doing either. It was, it was backbreaking. Like cleaning is no joke. You have to work really, really hard and lug all the equipment and you know, you're reaching, you're pulling, you're grabbing, you're picking up. So it's like, it's a very physically demanding job. So it's very physically demanding. You can't do it forever. And you're getting paid next to nothing. And you're having to deal with just germs and gross and trash. And we worked as janitors for a small church for a little mm -hmm. while. And, you know, that wasn't too difficult because how it was much a do we get paid place i think we got 200 a month yeah so 200 a month and we were expected to clean the church before before um sunday service mm -hmm. so and like we would go in like what on wednesday a wednesday well if we could go and pick up before the wednesday service yeah that's right. so we, we were that. expected to do like a tidy and then a clean so it was like basically two cleans and yeah. 200 dollars. and there were three of us it was mom and you and me and it was hard that was hard, but it wasn't to a level of that you would have to be for like a fancy office building like they're well, cleaning. Well, no, because this is like, this is, yeah, this is like a towering building that they're cleaning multi-levels. And it, the way it looks, it, they're the only ones that work there. I mean, there might be more people, but it looks like only, the only four employees he has are them. So that's a, that's a lot of work. So it's like, I don't know. And I think they clean all night. That's what it looks like. Because like when they're um, smoking weed, it's like morning. So it's like effectively they're cleaning all night in this high rise. But oh, is this when um, Cleo finds the picture of the family? And she's like, that woman has never held a broom in her life. And that is one ugly baby. Yeah, it's a really great shot, even though it doesn't make any sense if you think about it but they're on this like spiral staircase and you can see all of them and they're like talking to each other from the different floors all on the staircase but yeah there's no leaning reason... on the railing yeah uh, leaning over the railing and there's no reason for cleo to be anywhere near the staircase with this picture yeah 
But it's such a great shot that I just, I love it. And the exchange between them is, it's it's a really great scene. There's a lot of really good scenes in this. Yeah, very good exchanges. I wish I had more. But it just, yeah, they just, they function so well as a group. And they all have like their little kind of role within the group. They all kind of fill that really perfectly. Right. Because you but- can write that into a script like, oh, this is the so-and-so. This is the the other guy and this is what they do but they do it very naturally they're all very distinct without being stereotypes yeah distinct without being stereotyped and it's very authentic it doesn't feel forced or fake it feels probably the characters they are may be close to the people they were at that time and also the director wanted them to really get to know each other so he had them go out to dinner together and hang out together and they said that they did a lot of rehearsals Mm -hmm. so that they actually did become friends and they built a rapport with each other yeah i could pick up on cues and kind of understand what different things meant to each other um no but i think about in particular to sean who is played by kimberly elise they call her tt but i just i feel silly saying tt so I like to say Tishon. She's played by Kimberly Elise. And Tishon's kind of quieter and more timid. She's very sweet. What's so funny is this was actually Kimberly Elise's first movie. Uh, one of the producers discovered her as a waitress. Her playing this more timid role would kind of make sense if she was kind of the new kid on the block as far as filming goes. She'd probably be kind of watching everyone else and seeing what they did to kind of figure out her place and what she should do. She said that she was the only one who was actually living the story because Mm -hmm. she had just finished film school, she had a small son, and she was broke. Wow. Queen Latifah was successful with music. This was one of her, this was her first starring role. Um, she was Same also, for Jada Pinkett Smith. And this movie was shot in 39 days. Jeez Louise. Where was it shot? Was, did, was it shot in San Francisco? It was shot in LA. Wow. Because some of those streets, I thought it was San Francisco. That would make sense if it's based in LA. Yeah, they shot it in LA. They actually got to close down Wilshire Boulevard for the scene where they drive the car through the bank. Wow. And he said, the director said they got one take because that was it they're small they were a nine million dollar movie which was a a small studio film and that they think it still is well yeah Uh, it's like a micro film now um they couldn't keep wilshire shut down for this so they got one chance to do it he said it was one of his favorite days on set that he just had so much fun with that scene oh that's oh yeah kid in a candy store it's like ooh, i get to have a suburban drive through a big glass window yes well while they're sitting on the roof getting high frankie said she wants to rob the bank well, the day before, she said she wanted to blow the bank up. So Stoney's like, ah, Frankie, blow the bank up, rob the bank. They're all having fun. But this is the first time that the idea has really been presented and now is um, growing in everybody's mind. Festering. And so Stevie tells Stoney when she presents him with the check that would cover like his first semester of tuition that he didn't get in to college like at all at all it not that he didn't get a scholarship he didn't get a scholarship because he didn't get in yeah and she immediately slaps up which is completely understandable and she goes why did you have to lie to me why couldn't you have just told me yeah because he has no idea what she did right but she now has to live with the weight of that knowing that it was for nothing and so he goes over to his friend lorenzo's house 
Oh, yeah, he kind of leaves in a huff and she's mad. I think that's really important. Lorenzo is the third bank robber. And one of the ways that they have identified Lorenzo is on the back of his head, he has the letters AP. That stands for Acorn Projects, shaved into the back of his head. Not asshole, perhaps, like Detective Strode says. Right. Um, just in case anybody was thinking about robbing a bank, don't have super distinguishing things like that if you're going to do it, because it helps them track you down. Yeah, so Stevie sees this and immediately is like, I want that, or that's really cool. And so Lorenzo gets his lady friend, I'm not sure who she is, but she takes him to the kitchen to do that. But he's really mean to her. Yeah, he is. I don't and like Lorenzo. She didn't Lorenzo. do anything. Oh, yeah. He was very mean to her. But I think, again, it kind of shows the treatment of black women, even by black men. It's like kind of constantly showing how badly they can be treated. As Stevie's leaving, Lorenzo gives him a bottle of champagne in celebration of him going off to college because everybody still thinks he's going off to college. Yeah. The cops have identified, you know, where Lorenzo lives and they're staking him out. Well, they mistake Stevie for Lorenzo because of the AP shaved in his head and they, you know, order him to get down on the ground. Well, he's reaching for the bottle of champagne that he's put inside his jacket because nobody wants to lay on a glass bottle and they think it's a gun and so without looking without questioning just start shooting yeah so stevie is killed so upsetting and this is again where you really see jada pinkett smith shine is her whole emotional journey in the moments that she shows up sees stevie and just the i'm going to say it again there's just the anguish and grief that just it washes over her. It's so sad. It's unbelievably, unbearably sad, but it is brilliant. The scene that really just ripped mm. my heart out. And it continues. Yeah, I would say, don't get me wrong. This is unbelievably sad. But when she's home and she comes out of the bathroom and she's just having a full breakdown because she saw his hair in the bathroom. No, well, that's what I, I'm including that, too. Oh, okay. It kind of all feels like the same thing to me because, I mean, she, you know, tells off the detective who kind of very callously tells her, like, there will be a full investigation and, you know, doesn't really offer much in the way of condolence. And she lets him have it and it's just this rage it's so it's just it's electrifying and then yeah and then she comes home and talks sees his hair in the sink and it's just almost incapacitated she's yeah. so overcome with grief it's like all of her friends are just lifting her up despite you know all the things that they have going on and all of their own problems it's like they are all around her lifting her up keeping her going and this is one more, and I think, again, they revisit the idea of robbing banks. Right. At some point. Well, and this is when they decide that they're actually going to do it, because Frankie says, no one is going to get hurt. It's the perfect crime. Well, they don't decide, but they, they're pretty much certain they want to, but there's one holdout. Like, there's never a big event with Cleo, but it's just kind of constant beratement on her and mocking of her identity and her sexuality. So there's like a big event for Frankie. There's the big event with Stoney. Cleo is kind of on board from the jump. But right. Deshaun still isn't on board. But she they doesn't do, think that it's right. They do go and case the bank. Yeah. So they're, she's not completely opposed to the idea. I think she's thinking if I humor them, they'll stop. Oh, okay. 
Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Like you go along with your friends because they want to do something crazy and you're like, okay, well, we'll just like go, but they're going to get bored of this and they're going to realize it's a really dumb idea. Ah, I see. It's like the time in college where we wanted to shoot a porn. Do you remember that? <laughs> After we saw Zach and Mary make a porno. We're like, we could do that. We weren't you know, going to be in it. We were just going to like cast facilitate it, and direct it, it happening. Yeah, we were going to be, be like the film crew and the casting process and all that stuff. And we were like figuring out where we we're going to film it. But it's like, obviously, this is a very different situation. But I th- what I think is it's like kind of when your friends are going wanting to do something kind of crazy. I think yeah. she went along with it to a point. And so while they're in there, Keith, who is this very dreamy corporate banker, comes down and hits on Stoney, wants to get her phone number. And she says that, no, he can't have it, but she'll take his. And, you know, they kind of leave it this little flirty, flirty thing. Yeah, Um, he is also played by the dreamy Blair Underwood. Oh, my gosh, he is dreamy. He's so good looking. So the next night at work, T.T. has to bring her son because she can't afford a babysitter and he gets into some of their cleaning products. And, and it's poison. To, yeah, he's poisoned. They have to take him to the hospital. Child Protective Services come in. They take him away. I was watching this scene. Dumbfounded that he would be taken away over something like this. Over like a first time thing. But she explains that it's because it happened in the workplace. Like if it had happened at home, I guess it would have been a different situation. But because it happened in the workplace, they took him. It just, it felt, again, Tashawn wasn't even given a chance. There was no reason, there was no shadow of a doubt or no reasonable doubt. It was like how Frankie was immediately let go from her job. Yeah. Tashawn immediately loses her son. There's there, no if ands, there's no discussion. No warnings, no anything, just... No preparation. We're jumping right to the thing, not give... Yeah. yeah. We're jumping right to the most extreme decision we can make, which it just, it did. It felt very unfair. The social worker tells her that she's going to have to prove that she has money for adequate child care. Well, so now Tashawn is in because she has to have this money in order to have child care to get her son back. Which, yeah, still she doesn't want to do it, but she's doing it because she's desperate. She right. needs the money. Which I can only imagine that herself as a young mother with a young son, that had to be like just a heartbreaking scene to play. Oh, Yeah. Of course. No, well, it probably allowed her to go there emotionally more so than someone who maybe doesn't have a child, which is, you know, great for us. But is that, you know, the best for her emotionally? She seemed okay in the interview I saw, but yeah, who knows? Oh, yeah, I'm sure she's fine. But you know what I mean? It's just over time. Here's an interesting thing. Jada Pinkett Smith didn't want to play Stoney. She wanted to play Cleo. She thought it was the more interesting role. Mm-hmm. And the director, he said immediately when he read the script, he imagined her in the part of Stoney. And so he had to convince her to play it. He wanted her to be the emotional through line for the audience. Yeah, I think he saw in Jada Pinkett Smith what we see is a very strong actress that can kind of carry, or not kind of, she carries that film. Oh, yeah. And and her her story is the through line through the whole film. Like all of these women's stories are important, but Stoney is the one that we is the one that carries it all together and makes it all happen. And I think he saw that she was capable of that. But wasn't also Queen Latifah. She was first choice as well. Yeah. Yeah. He immediately wanted her for this. Um... Mm-hmm. And Vivica A. Fox. He wanted her, but he asked her to come in audition. 
Which okay. is funny to me because I think she had more experience than the other ones. But yeah, he had her audition. She's the one that auditioned on her lunch break. Right, right, right. I just couldn't remember if he if she was the first choice. Um, but but um, yeah, and also Stoney was originally supposed to be a crack addict. Oh, but they wrote that out. I didn't read that anywhere. Yeah, I happened to see that like on some trivia. I think it was on IMDb, and allegedly. Stoney was supposed to be a crack addict and they wrote it out. And honestly, I don't think the character needed that. I think she had enough. Yeah, she had enough. And if she, how would she be able to keep it all together if she was a crack addict? I mean, people are functioning drug addicts all the time. That's true. It's like Jason Mewes from um, Jane Silent Bob. It's like when he would film movies, it's like, because I just watched Dogma with my roommate. And it's like Jason Mewes talks about how he was literally in like the throws of the worst part of his heroin addiction yet he could still memorize an entire script yeah i know like in the 80s people talk about doing so much cocaine that they don't remember filming movies and stuff and i just Mm -hmm. it blows my mind how people can function like that but so it's like yeah it could have been done but i don't i think the character had enough going on i don't think the the added point of a drug addiction other than being kind of other than letting other other addicts see themselves in a character, maybe. That's true. But I see why they took it out. I want to talk for a minute about the director, F. Gary Gray, which mm-hmm. I really love his name. I don't know why. It just makes me happy when I, to, to well, when see I first, how it looks. Yeah, well, when I first read it, when I was reading um, the credits for this, I thought it said F. Gary Gary. I thought it did, too. <laughs> I was like, that's a great name, but F. Gary Gray, that just... It flows. Has weight to it. Yeah. Like, hi, I'm F. Gary Gray, and you're watching Disney Channel. I know that's not it, but it's just a very um, marketable name. This was his second feature to direct. Wow. Which is pretty impressive. His first one was the movie Friday, which... Oh, yeah! ...came out the year before Set It Off did. Yeah. So uh, before that, he did music videos, which is how he knew Dr. Dre, and I guess got him a part in this movie. Oh, yeah. Fun fact, Dr. Dre's first film was set it off. He also directed The Negotiator, The Italian Job, which I really loved. The new one? Mm-hmm. I mean, I didn't figure it was the one from the 70s, but... He directed Straight Out of Compton, the eighth Fast and the Furious movie, The Fate of the Furious, which was the 18th highest grossing film of all time. Hey, I like Straight Out of Compton. That was a really interesting story. I see how it kind of fell apart at the end because people kind of said that the movie, like it, it, it went on a little bit too long and the ending kind of fell apart. Kind of see what they're saying. Still thought it was a pretty good movie. Very interesting story. Even more interesting that it was true. Have oh, you seen that? And that makes sense that he was a... He directed music videos, so he would be interested in... Because, right, it's about musicians. Yeah, it's a, well, it's about NWA. I can't say their name because it has a word that I can't say. But okay. um, it's about... They're a rap group. They're, like, the first big rap group with, like, Eazy-E, Dr. Dre, Ice Cube. Yeah, so that would be his interests and experiences colliding. Yeah, and also in Friday, he directed Ice Cube. Uh-huh. Have you seen Friday? I have not. I quite liked Friday. I've seen a lot of these. Okay. And I I quite like Friday. I think that would be a good addition to our our movie nights that we want to have. Okay. Well, you haven't picked yours yet, so. But it's very funny. It's like um, one of the, in my opinion, one of the original stoner comedies. 
Okay. Because it's Ice Cube and Chris Tucker, and they're best friends. That's awesome. And they fun. have to, they have to um, pay some drug dealers in like an allotted amount of time. Eh. I think, I think on the night of Friday, because I think the whole film, if I remember correctly, focuses on the, the day Friday. Oh, okay. That one day. But one of the reasons this movie came about was the producer of it, she was working for New Line Cinema, and she saw Thelma and Louise, and she said she realized that the reason people connected to that movie was because of the relationship between the two women. Because of a lot of what was going on at the time, there were, um, in LA, there were riots, and there was a lot of, like, police brutality going on towards the black community, and... Well, that was right after the violent crime and control... What was it called? It was a result of a bill that was passed. Right. Violent Crime Control and Law Enforcement Act. It became a law in 1994, yeah. and it's the largest crime bill in the history of the United States. Uh, it consisted like... of 356 pages. Oh my gosh. And it was introduced by someone from Texas. Did you know that? Oh, it was. But the bill was originally written by Senator Joe Biden, who is running Mm -hmm. for president right now. Something to keep in mind as Uh, you are listening to this. But yeah, it just, it resulted in just mass incarceration. Right. Police brutality, just a complete rise in all of those. There was also a bunch of shootings that happened at that time. It says following the 101 California Street shooting where a guy walked into a law office and just shot a bunch of people. The 1993 Waco siege, Mm -hmm. which we don't live too far from Waco. That was a big thing that we knew about. We've actually been to the Branch Davidian compound a few times. Super creepy creepy and there were do not recommend no there was a bunch of other shootings that happened and um high profile instances of violent crime that was what brought this story to the forefront yeah and well that's what brought about this in law enforcement act but it also is what caused her to want this movie made and so she contacted the screen one of the screenwriters and which producer is this you know i didn't write her name down let's see it I got it. Ooh. But she contacted Takashi. Because there's Mary Parent. She was an executive producer. It looks like the rest are men. Okay, it was probably her then. Yeah, the rest are men. She contacted him and said, I want story and kind of, I guess, told him some of the things that she wanted in it. And he said that he was sitting at a park one day and he saw these four women who, for him, embodied the characters. And he went and he wrote 40 pages of the script and he brought them to her and he said, I can't wait anymore. I have to write this story. Wow. So he he wrote it and then they got in Kate to flesh it out some more and work on it and so she wrote like the backs some of the backstories and a little bit more of the personality of the characters so if it wasn't for this executive producer we might not have the story right or not told in this way exactly and so she got f gary gray because he really wanted to direct an action movie and since she was working for new line cinema and they had done friday they really wanted him to do another movie asap and so it was just like this you know kind of like the perfect storm of things Mm -hmm. and that's what one of the articles that i was reading they said it was lightning in a bottle because they're in talks to remake this right now which a lot of people have a lot of feelings about right from what i've read 
it's the combination of the director, the writers, what was happening in LA at that time, and mm-hmm. the fact that they had these strong women. Because this this wasn't a movie that was made. People didn't make movies like this, starring four black women in... That were bank robbers? Yeah. They didn't do movies like this, a female screenwriter. They don't do movies like that now. Well, that's true. This movie made, so they had a budget of $9 million. It grossed over $41 million. Wow. This was a huge hit. It was New Line Cinema's highest grossing film of 1996. It won the director a Black Film Award for Best Director and a Special Jury Prize at the Cognac Film Festival. It also had a hugely successful soundtrack. It was The soundtrack was number four on the Billboard 200 and number three on the top R&B and hip-hop albums. And it had seven singles on the charts. Mm. It's a perfect storm of of talent right there and resources, quite honestly. Yeah. So I'm not saying that they can't remake it, but also why can't they write a new story? It feels it was so important because of the time that it was written in and because of what was happening. And granted, it's still timely. Oh, yeah. It still resonates and I think these stories still need to be told I think this story still needs to be told I just wonder if a remake will do as well but Issa Rae's show Insecure is amazing it's so good it's the writing is so good the the performances are great so I don't feel and this is my this is my opinion as a white woman which in this situation means next to nothing but I do think that she will do a good job or at least attempt to do a good job but again i don't know if everything just needs to be remade and remade it's like like you said this was lightning in a bottle this was one time this this moment in history and it was just captured perfectly in this movie because there are lots of screenwriters out there and i bet you somebody has written a really amazing movie that just needs to be discovered right that would fulfill all the things that people want from this movie but it will be a new story it'll tell the same story in a way but in a new way or Pull a a switcheroo like they did with, granted, this movie is nowhere near the quality, but like they did with Burglar. And take a movie that's written for white men and put black women in it. Yeah. I mean, I wouldn't have any problems with that. I wouldn't. But also the thing is, too, is it's like if you take a story that's written for white men, that's not a black woman's story. Right. It wouldn't address some of the issues, but I'm just saying that just... Take some movies and flip them. Basically do what they, just reverse what they typically do, which is put a white man on other things that don't belong to white men. Yeah. Oh, okay. I mean, I'm down. That's fine. But also, you know, I know I know that there are screenwriters out there that are writing new and original stories for black women. Let's tell some of those. Absolutely. 100%. Where are we in the story? That's a that's an excellent question. So they, they borrow some guns from Dr. Dre. It was called Black Sam. And they got it because Cleo used to steal cars for him before he got in the gun game. But what I really love about this scene is he says, set me up with Frankie. And (gasps) she doesn't sell her friend out. She goes, no, I'm going to pay you interest. That's all. And I'll bring you the guns back. Yeah. It's so amazing because in 96, I mean, even now seeing women kind of hold each other up and advocate for each other and keep each other safe is still kind of rare in movies because a lot of times you will see women sell each other out. Yeah. Or And it'll be passed off as humorous. 
or be funny. It's like, oh, what'd you do? Who do I have to go on a date with? And it's they try to make it funny. So to see this done 24 years ago, which it's 24 years, super Super gratifying and validating. Yeah. So they actually do rob their first bank. TT, she freaks out. She can't do it. So it's just the three of them. And they get away with 12 grand, which immediately Cleo goes and spends to fix up her car and buy lingerie for Ursula. Mm -hmm. Um, This was another point I, I read in an article saying that you see Ursula, you know, dressed in this very sexy lingerie. And it's not for male attention. That's huge in a movie. And even more so, it's for a, it's a queer relationship. Yeah, because still, you don't see that a lot. And not portrayed like this, just as, just as a relationship. Because no, no one really commented on it. They just, just there was a lot of digs particularly about Cleo, but no one made digs about their relationship. But yeah, I thought that was really interesting pointing that out that this woman is on the hood of a car. She's dressed really sexy and just like feeling herself and it's not for male attention. Also, when they're dividing up the money, Stoney gives to Sean her cut and Frankie is upset about this because she said, you know, you didn't do anything. You left. And she's to Sean stands up for herself and says I need that money more than any of you do and Frankie backs down as you know you're right I'm sorry and they're all friends and they are still supporting each other well what I love is she says it's not you I'm angry at yeah is it like she realizes her anger is totally misdirected you know it's never a question in Stoney's mind that Tashawn's going to get her money because she's part of this. It didn't matter that she didn't do anything, but she goes, at least she was, or she was there. Yeah. So again, showing this bond, it's like, this is a ride or die group. They're going to look out for each other. And even when one makes a mistake, I mean, I mean, robbing a bank is a mistake, but in this situation, you know, like running away, you know, wasn't, wasn't what she was supposed to do, but that happened. They, they still included her and she wasn't excluded just because she didn't give them something or she didn't do her part. She was still valid, which again, to see in a movie, huge. And throughout this, Stoney and Keith have been going on dates and getting to know each other better. And he has this apartment or house. I don't know. It's gorgeous. He goes, it's not much, but it's nice. I mean, I look at it and I'm like, this is nicer than any place I've ever lived. I was like, yeah, that's nicer than anything I've ever been in. (laughs) He's asking her things like, where do you see yourself in five years? And yeah, he's completely out of touch with the reality that Stoney is in like what with what would be Stoney's reality because you know he's been able to make a living be affluent and have this money so he's really out of touch with what that kind of question would mean to to a person with a background like Stoney has right but he does tell her because she gets in a big fight with Cleo because Cleo's spent all her money and wants to rob another bank Oh, yeah, and puts a gun in her face. Yeah, puts a gun in her face. That was one scene where I was like, that was not Stoney, that was Jada Pinkett Smith. When she smacks Cleo in the face, I was like, Jada Pinkett Smith would do that. (laughs) And so she asks him about friends and money, and he tells her not to lose her friend over money. Very, that is very good advice. That night at work, Stoney and Cleo, you know, they make up. Stoney asks Cleo, you know, where do you see yourself in five years? Some of these questions that Keith had been asking her. Mm-hmm. And Cleo says, I don't know and I don't care. I'm just trying to get through the day. Which is the reality for a lot of people. 
they don't have the luxury of planning their future. Yeah, when you are living paycheck to paycheck and just trying to make it, mm -hmm. five years, you can't imagine doing anything else because you're just, yeah, just literally trying to make it to the next day. But the next scene is a scene I really love. It's where they're doing their godfather meeting. And I don't... Oh my gosh, I love it. I love it so much. It's so funny because it's so unexpected. Um, And I don't know what... Uh, and so well done. Yeah, I know. It's so well done. Um, I don't know what uh, Frankie stuffed in her cheeks, but she... Something to, you know, give her the Godfather mumble and... The Marlon Brando mumble. Yeah. This on the day of my daughter's wedding. But yeah, they basically, while they're cleaning this high rise or this big, this big office space, there's this giant conference table and they're all sitting around it and they're all like assuming these identities. And Tishan cannot keep it together. She's like laughing every other time. But she has these really great moments when she's in it. And I'm like, oh my gosh, yes, that's great. Yeah. But they're basically setting the new ground rules for robbing banks going forward. Yeah. For what their units is going to look like and what their unit's going to agree to. It's all set up. Cleo steals another car. Uh, they're there. They're robbing the bank. Everything's going according <laughs> to plan, except for the fact that this homeless guy outside was harassing this lady, so the cops are there blocking the was exit. She, was he really harassing her? Well, he, he, was, he like, grabbed her and was saying, hey, just give me some change. Because it was, like, it was a little bit harassing, but I thought this was another moment of classism because it's, like, you know, well, a little bit. Because they were really bringing it down on him for just wanting money. But he did grab her. I forgot about that. If, if he hadn't have put his hands on her, then I would have completely agreed with you. But he did grab her, so. I rescind that argument. And this is where Tashawn has her great moment because she's pretending to be a customer laying down on the floor and she's like, like oh, oh help us and and then there's um a guy who tries to pull his gun on him and she is there with her gun and takes his and it's a really She's good like, mm -mm. moment yeah but cleo goes and steals a car out of the parking garage drives through the bank to get yeah, them because she can't get to them, like, she just can't, because they can't just walk outside, there are police there. Right. And, and she then, doesn't drive through the front, she drives through the back. She drives through right? the back, and then, to get them out of the bank, crashes through the front windows, and they take off. Yeah, and the police are dumbfounded, just standing there, and they, not knowing what happened. They're going to get 75000 each out of this. They're going to, for three days, continue as normal, that's when Tashawn has her hearing to get her son back, and then they're all going to split leave so they hide the money in an air conditioning vent at work but luther finds it i don't know how that is something i mean they don't owe us an explanation but i would love to know why luther beyond if he was hiding something himself that's true he finds the money and he takes off with it and they go to black sam because they're like hey luther took our money and your money so he tells them where luther's hiding out stoney's at a really fancy party with keith where he buys her this amazing dress and she has what she said is one of the best nights of her life i don't know why this moment didn't sit well with me when he takes her to buy the dress because she comes and she's kind of in this pantsuit it's like maybe a little asian inspired the collar seems so but it'd be it's not what you would typically wear but it just i don't know 
I don't know why that doesn't sit well with me. Because like immediately he has to change her. I had the same feeling. But also, he didn't want her showing up. Because if she would have wore that to the party, she would have felt uncomfortable because nobody else was dressed like that. That's true. That is true. So, I mean, I think there was some, I think it was good intentions behind it. It just, that the feeling that she had to change herself. Yeah. Also, he probably should have known that she wouldn't have anything black tie. But the thing is, is that again, I think Keith is a, is a more out of touch character with the reality of what some people live. So yeah. I think he just kind of assumes everybody has these things. That's true. Because you know I feel I mean? like it would have been different for me if she had shown up there and he would have been like, hey, I bought you a present. Yeah, versus... I have been like, I got you this thing. Versus. Rather than, hey, I lied to you. Right. <laughs> Saying, hey, I, I said you looked good, but I actually lied to you. So let's go change everything about the way you look which i mean it's an amazing dress she looks gorgeous stunning. yeah stunning. no that's the word stunning but it's like she's still the same person in the other outfit do you know yeah. what i mean while this is happening cleo and tashan and frankie go to find luther to get their money back and they find him hold up with a prostitute he ends up getting killed in the process tashan shoots him because he pulls a gun on cleo, cleo. And is going to kill her. And honestly, I think Tashawn's just kind of at a breaking point. I don't know if she was really intending to kill Luther or if it was just kind of that instinct of like, it's him or me and he's, I just got to do this. I think again, it's that moment where there's no choice. It's like when her child was taken away and she had no money. It's like there was, in her eyes, no choice but to rob the bank. In that situation, there was no choice but for Luther to die. But I don't know if she was actually intending to kill him. I Maybe just trying to wound him or stop him. I think it really was just stopping him. Right. And then he died. Yeah. Yeah. But Cleo threatens the mm out of this prostitute. It's just like, I have your name. I have your ID. It's right here. Don't say nothing. And so this police officer is on John to C. McGinley. Yeah. Now he's been telling them when he's been told not to. He, he was told by his captain to leave them alone because he's like, I have this theory about this girl that she knows the girl from the bank. And he goes, oh, the girl that's um, brother was killed by us that we're getting terrible press attention about. Yeah. So he's like, leave them alone. And of course, he doesn't listen. And he tells them. So he's been watching them this whole time. And they pick Cleo up to go to a lineup. The prostitute is there. And they keep saying, do you see the person who smoked Luther? Do you see the person who's killed Luther? And I mean, she truthfully answers no, because Cleo didn't kill him. But uh, also, Cleo makes sure to tap the pocket of her shirt just to remind her that she yeah. had her information. And but yeah, they're very much, they're like basically almost forcing her to say that Cleo did it. And like it's almost coercion. Yeah, they've got to rob one more bank. Well, and, because they can't find the money. Yeah, because they had. And they, Luther spent some. Luther spent some of it. They don't know where the rest of it is. And they've got to get out. They know that they're all going to be caught if they don't. Yeah. So they're going to rob. In Cleo's words, they're all hot. They're going to rob the bank that Frankie used to work at, the one that Keith works at. And This is so sad. Yeah. Because it's like, because uh, another thing, I, I, we don't normally talk about love scenes that much. But there is this really um, cool love scene between Keith and Stoney after the big black tie dinner party and it's like she gets to really express herself sexually and i think 
why it's so important to me to bring this up is seeing the the difference between the very exploited, coerced, not consensual scene between her and and Nate, and then seeing one that is consensual between her and Keith. And I was, and for that character, I think it was really important for her to have that journey. Yeah. Also, the song they play, the "What's It Gonna Be?" Na na. I love that song. We're going pretty well in Stony's life. Uh, well, yeah, well, but but she knew this was it. She knew she probably wasn't going to see him again. Right. Because uh, he's like this week in Italian and she's about to cry. She and she pulls it together. She turns around and says, I'll call you, you know, and so leaving it open ended. She actually does call him. And well, and somehow he figures out, I think he sees some video footage because they're like warning banks, you know, about these bank robbers. And he sees her on the footage and knows it's her. Yeah. So she calls him. And, and says, says, we need to talk. Yeah, she says, meet me at this place. Um, I can't remember. A diner, right? Yeah. And he says... It's the diner they met at. It's the diner that he took her to on their first date. Yeah. Because they met at the bank. Mm-hmm. She sa- He says, you better be there. Well, of course, while he's at the diner, they're robbing the bank. It doesn't go well. The cops show up. TT gets shot. It's... This is a very hard scene. <laughs> yeah, it, this is kind of where, I mean, the downfall kind of started, but this is really where it takes a steep yeah. turn. They they get her out to the car, and there is this amazing scene with Jada Pinkett Smith is holding her head in her lap, and they're going, we have to get to the hospital. Because at this point, you know, it's saving their friend. That's what they got to yeah. do. Mm-hmm. But it doesn't happen, and she's talking about... Do you remember that time that we got Banana Flambe? Yeah, sorry, this scene's a little hard for me to talk about. (laughs) Because it's like these these women that that are so dynamic and love each other and love their families and love the people around them so much and so hard and are willing to do these things, and you are rooting for them. You want them to win. It doesn't happen. And it's like... And with Tishan, it's like she's... Probably the one they're all love. Like I, I love all these characters, but it's like she feels like she was written to be the most innocent, if you will. Yeah, you know, she was just, just kind of forced into these. Well, I mean, they all were forced, but you just feel it deeper with her for some reason. And so to see her bleeding out in the back of a car seat, it's awful because we're conditioned in movies that these kind of things don't happen to good people because they're still good people the watcher it's like it's not it's not so black and white that she's just a criminal we 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 know who she is and we know that she is this wonderful person and she has a soul and she has thoughts and ideas and dreams and you want to see them happen but she, but it is a beautiful little it is a beautiful moment between her and stony and she does pass away and they have to leave her body in the car which almost is worse that's almost worse than her dying is the fact that they just have to leave her body abandoned in a car. And they steal another car, and ultimately they have to split up. They've each got like, s- some money. There's uh, just police tail. There's helicopters. There's cars everywhere. They they can't go anywhere together. Cleo offers, she basically tells Frankie and Stoney to get out of the car, and then she takes off in the car yeah, with her money. She rams her car through basically like a police barricade, and they're just pumping it full of bullets it rolls well no that doesn't well wait 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 wait, you you kind of skipped over because this is this is very dramatic and this is very uh, intense and so sad okay go ahead but okay so she's in the car and she 
she is knowing she's taking the focus. She knows they're following her because they don't know the other two got out of the car. Right. Right. They don't realize that yet. So she has all the heat on her. She has this moment where she, where it's up. She's, she's not getting out of this. And they basically have the cars around and they're telling her to get out. And she has a moment where she has to decide what she's going to do. And does she put her sunglasses on? Doesn't have them on when she gets killed, but she might when she drives through. And she she lights a cigarette and she's just, she makes the choice. She's going to drive through them. You know, all of this is unspoken, but she has chosen in a way freedom over, over being arrested in her way. She drives through the police barricade and just, you know, decimates cars and they're pumping the car full of bullets, which is just, it's really traumatic to watch it's disturbing and you think that's it that she's dead and then she's not and she gets out of the car the scene is a little reminiscent of bonnie and clyde that's exactly what i thought too because it seems like a major overkill it's like Um, all these cops for one car for percent you know perceived to be three women and yeah or three people she gets out of the car they get her yeah. I mean, I hate to use the term blaze of glory, but there is something very triumphant about the way that she goes out. I mean, it's it's awful. She made the choice. She got to decide. Frankie, she's on her own. She's running. Well, because Stoney and Frankie are together for a moment. They hug and then they split ways. But they catch up to Frankie too. Well, and the way that this is filmed, because you don't know that at first. You're just, because they follow Stoney. And you're yeah. watching Stoney because they're supposed to get on this bus bound for Mexico, right? Yeah. Then as she's driving off in the bus, the bus is driving off, she sees Frankie in a standoff with police. And you realize that Frankie's been caught. And the detective, he puts down his gun. He's saying, "You can, we can still work through this. You don't have to do this. Screaming at the people behind him, don't shoot, don't shoot. And they're still aiming to shoot. And he's just screaming, but they're not listening. And so he walks up. It's like he has no power. He walks up to her. She pulls a gun on him and puts it to his head. And she goes, what's the procedure when you have a gun to your head? And Mm -hmm. he doesn't really answer. And she goes, what's the procedure? And this was another instance where I thought because she turns and runs and they shoot her in the back. Again, I don't know. They did kill they did kill a couple of cops at the bank when TT got shot. And you know, they are But there's there's so many accounts of people being shot in the back by police. That's not uncommon. Okay. But it it's one thing to know it happens. It's one thing to to read it. And even though this is a movie, there's something so real about it. It feels and I think because you are so invested and you're so invested in these characters and you care about them so much because seeing that it's it's sickening like i i feel sick but that's also one thing in movies and everything it's like you don't shoot somebody in the back and so to see them do that like i don't know i don't know what they should have done but it just seems like they shouldn't have done that what do you mean? What they who who are they that shouldn't have done the that? police? I don't know. When, oh, yeah. when a suspect is fleeing, an armed suspect is fleeing. I don't know what would be the proper thing to do, 
but it just feels like gunning them down in the back isn't is merciless right it's 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 a it's a total lack of humanity and empathy but the sad thing is it's like as shocking as it was for us to see this this is the reality that a lot of people have to live with that are poc that they don't even have to rob a bank they can just be walking in the wrong neighborhood it's 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 very disturbing very sobering but again it's like when all of their choices have been taken away they make the choice how they're going to go out but it's like as she's being shot stoney's passing right by and sees everything happen she makes it to mexico and she calls keith can we backtrack because yeah the police officer that was talking to frankie that's been on the case this whole time that was tailing them when he wasn't supposed to be and all that good stuff or not good stuff but all that stuff that had a hunch he was right he sees how it's ending and i think it hits him at the end i think just seeing her seeing the fact that he had no power and that this system would happen with or without him. Yeah. Way, and that what would happen was going to happen with or without him. I, I think that fell on him really hard because he sees Stoney on the bus and he says nothing. Yeah, he just lets her go. But she does make it to Mexico with her money and she calls Keith. And she doesn't say anything, but he knows that it's her. And he says something along the lines of, I hope you're safe. Or, I hope you got away. And all she says is, I am. And hangs up. Well, and I read something, um, because it was talking about that in so many situations where a woman will choose a man, Stoney chooses herself. Yeah. Because it's like, so how many times have you seen in the movie, the woman go back for the man she loves or whatever. But it's like, she chooses herself because she has suffered this great, incredible, unfathomable loss. And she chooses to make a new life for herself. She shaves her head and gets a Jeep and is driving across some really beautiful countryside. That's where we leave. It almost, feel, almost feels like there could be a follow-up if someone wanted. That would be the movie you're right, is a follow-up. It's like a sequel. That would be interesting. I think that would be interesting. It's like, I don't think necessarily a remake is necessary, but I think a continuation of the story would be. About the men in this movie, the director said that both of the men that he cast, he cast them because he knew that he could get the performance he wanted from them with very little work so he wouldn't have to worry about them at all so he could put all of his focus on the women. And I love that. That's so cool. It's like like his priorities were right. Take care of my actors. this, This was a big hit movie. Roger Ebert loved it. He said, Set It Off is advertised as a thriller about four black women who rob banks, but it's a lot more than that. It creates a portrait of the lives of these women that's so observant and informed. It's like waiting to exhale with a strong jolt of reality. The movie surprised Mm. and moved me. I expected a routine action picture and was amazed how much I started to care about the characters. The action sequences, the robberies, the close calls, the shootouts are all well handled. This movie has the first chase scene I've seen in a long time that I've cared about. what makes Mm -hmm. the film special is the way that it shows the motivations of its four women whose lives are in economic crisis it doesn't justify bank robbery but it makes a convincing case for the mixture of desperation impulsiveness and thrill seeking that catapults its characters from minimum wage jobs to tv news bulletins oh one scene that we forgot to mention too was when ursula is watching all of this unfold on tv oh yeah because they show cleo being shot on live tv and, and ursula sees it we don't even see her face we just see her from the back 
watching mm-hmm. it. And that, oh my gosh, is such a strong scene too. So Stephen Holden of the New York Times compared it to Thelma and Louise, said in formulaic Hollywood terms, set it off might be described as Thelma and Louise ride shotgun in the hood while waiting to exhale. A pop psychologist might translate the story into a fable called Women Who Rob Banks and the Society That Hates Them. He added that among the long list of Hollywood heist movies that make you root for its criminals to steal a million dollars and live happily ever after, F. Gary Gray's film set it off as one of the most most poignantly impassioned and that if this messy roller coaster of a film seems to be going in several directions at once it never for a second loses empathy for the female robbers it never loses its drive either because there are a lot of stories but there's never a lack in momentum it just it just goes it's like a freight train it's a little bit longer than most of these type of movies are but you never notice that that is absolutely something I wasn't aware of. It wasn't until uh, we watched it the second time and I was on a time limit that I knew how long it was. Because yeah. the first time, it felt like an average movie length. But it's quite long. Again, when you have a really good, a really good, well-made film, you don't realize how long it is. You don't feel the length. In a review from Variety from 1996, it said, unlike Thelma and Louise, which which uprooted the women from their homes and sent them on the road, Set It Off keeps the women in their element, observing their attempts to live a normal life, which in their case means exploitive, low-paying jobs, insensitive men, and so on. The mm. pick captures effectively the psychological importance of the hood for the women. There is an illuminating scene in which Cleo tells Stoney, whose sole motivation for robbing is to get out of the projects, where will I go? I belong Long in this hood. It's also a tribute to the filmmakers that Cleo's overt lesbian relationship is handled matter-of-factly without any hustle or victimizing from her surroundings. I mean, I do feel like she's targeted, though, more than the other ones. Don't know if I quite... I mean, maybe I kind of get it, especially in 96 terms, but I think now just looking at it with more nuanced eyes, I do... I don't necessarily agree with that. Well, what rating would you give this? What grade would you give this movie? I feel like this is an A movie. This is an A plus for me. Okay. I walked into this not knowing what to expect. Honestly, not excited because I was like, I've never heard of this movie. And typically my rule is if I haven't heard of it and it's from, you know, several years back, it's probably not good. But I liked all the actors that had billings. I was like, oh, how have I never heard of this? And I still am asking that question because I came out of this this is one of my favorite movies that I have seen in recent years. Granted, we were small in 96, but as big of a hit that this was, it seems like it would have popped up on more lists or we would have heard about it. But yeah, this was a this was a blind find for me at work because mm-hmm. I hadn't and heard I'm of so it I'm so glad either. you found it. And I think this needs to be, I don't want to say required viewing, but I do think this, yeah, I would say it. Like, I think this is a movie that women in film particularly need to see because it just and I, and not even just women. I think for I think people need to watch it for different reasons for women and particularly um, black women or POC women. I think it kind of shows it, it validates and affirms that that people that are often told that they can't carry a movie or that no one's interested in these stories. These stories are really good. They people are interested in them and they can be told well, just like any other story. And I think for white filmmakers and people, white people in the industry, it needs to be shown that these stories are valid and need to be told. So it's kind of required viewing for different reasons. 
Well, and it's also a great example of how a male director can make a really great women's film. 100%. I mean, a lot of praise to F. Gary Gray because he really, he, he did such an excellent job with this film and the casting and his focus. Because I think you saying that you know, he casted solid male actors so he wouldn't have to worry about them so he could focus on his leads. Makes total sense because the whole focus of the film never wavers. Right. It never wavers on these women. And it's like, I think this just, like I said, it goes to show it validates and confirms that women can be in these roles that are partic- that are normally reserved for white men. Because it's like, because Stoney's story in particular, that she gets away and she gets to start over. I mean, how often do you get to see a woman or... I mean, just a woman in general, but a black woman get that kind of storyline. Because normally it's always the man that's in Mexico and he's on the beach or whatever. Yeah, who didn't go back for the lady or whatever. Yeah, it's it's never the woman that chooses herself and gets to get away and make her own life. And, and change her circumstances. Yeah. So, yeah, I would definitely make this an A+. This is one, again, one of my favorite films that I've seen. And uh, it's probably one of my favorite films that I've seen for Fatal Femmes. Yeah, this will definitely stay on my list, and I will be recommending it to anyone that hasn't seen it. So, leading into that, what is your recommendation? I don't know if there's anything I could recommend that's comparative to this movie. It's so one of a kind. For anyone that knows me, they know that I'm mildly obsessed with Jada Pinkett Smith. I call her my at-a-distance life coach because that woman is so incredible and aware and wise. Um, I would have to recommend her series on Facebook, Red Table Talk, that she does with her mom and her daughter. It has nothing to do with, I mean, well, no, I'm not going to say that. It's it's not, you know, a heist movie. It's not a movie at all. But it is three black women sitting down and talking about issues faced by women in the black community and, and other issues too. And, and it's just this open dialogue where people from all walks can come together and speak openly about issues that people are typically too scared to. It's like kind of addressing the elephant in the room. And I was even watching one today. Oh, awesome. Yeah, that sounds really good. Yeah, I would definitely recommend Red Table Talk. Yeah, and I I wish there were a film that I could think of that was along the same caliber as this. And I hope to find it. So if you have any recommendations, please let me know. The fact that this movie was made 24 years ago and is as timely now as it was then, that that says something for the writing and the filmmaking okay so my recommendation is the kitchen from 2019 starring melissa mccarthy tiffany haddish and elizabeth moss and it's oh i haven't seen this it's based on a comic book series directed by andrea burloff and it is about the wives of new york gangsters in hell's kitchen in the 1970s who continue to operate their husband's rackets after their husbands go to prison and leave them with no money and nothing. So it's... it's And a, holding the bag, probably. Yeah, about women <laughs> who change their circumstances and step into a place where women don't occupy and make a place for themselves. And then when their husbands do get out of prison, you know, it's interesting to see what happens there it it was good it wasn't as good as I wanted it to be but it's a solid movie cool. and I feel well, like I will check it out I feel like it's a good follow-up to this one and I think I just want to add like I realize that this is a film that is made by and for black women and this isn't necessarily our our this isn't our story and it isn't a story that we necessarily can relate to but I think it's important that we cover more stories of different kinds of women on Fatal Femmes. And I think 
just what I mean by that is like we might not do this perfectly and we might make mistakes. And please let us know because we're open to learning. But we want to make sure that we are doing inclusive coverage for all sorts of media, I guess, is what I'm trying to say, and, and stories. And if you are interested in being a guest and you have something that's cool and different, definitely bring it to our attention because yes. we want to be allies, we want to be advocates, and we want to be a platform for excellent storytelling. I also want to put a call out to our female identifying writers and directors out there. If you have a mystery book or if you've directed a mystery or horror thriller movie and you would be interested in us covering it and being on the show, contact us. It'd be cool to see playwrights too. Oh, yeah. If you have a play or a musical. uh, Podcast. Yeah. Contact us. You can... We all our information is at the end of the show, but our email address is fatalfemspodcast at gmail.com. But you can contact us on Twitter or Instagram or Facebook. Yeah, we're always looking to discover new things. We go to film festivals and stuff, and we're always looking for new th- new stuff to cover and new people to talk to. So and new things to get obsessed with. Yes. So send us a message. But I think that's it. Okay, I'm trying to remember if there's anything else that we need to talk about. I don't think there is. I don't think so. Should we say bye? Okay, bye. Bye. Thank you for listening to this episode of Fatal Femmes. Like us on Facebook at Fatal Femmes and follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Fatal underscore Femmes. Have a question or comment for the show? Shoot us an email at fatalfemspodcast at gmail.com. Episodes are now available on iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, or whatever podcatcher you use. Don't forget to leave us a rating while you're there. If you like what you've heard, check out our Patreon page. We have different sponsorship levels with perks that will allow us to make more content and better quality episodes. We hope you enjoyed this episode, because if you didn't, the consequences could be fatal. Thanks for listening.